Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. In December 1970, Rolling Stone founder and publisher Jan Wenner sat down with John Lennon for a pivotal moment in the history of the magazine and in the history of rock and roll. It was Lennon's first major interview since the breakup of the Beatles, and it was raw and stunning. Jan got him to be more honest than he'd ever been before about his conflicts with Paul McCartney, his hard drug use, his new life with Yoko Ono, and many other topics. And we're about to hear that interview right now. Jan begins by asking John about his philosophy of recording. The interview takes place just before the release of his solo debut, John Lennon, Plastic Ono Band. From there, they talk about George Martin, Phil Spector, Bob Dylan, God, the Maharishi, George Harrison, and much, much more. Here's Jan Wenner and John Lennon. When you record, you go for feeling or for uh, perfection of the sound? Uh, well, I, I like both. You know, I go for feeling. Mo- most takes are, are right off. And uh, most times I sang it and played it at the same time. You know, I can't stand uh, putting the back in, which is what we used to do a lot in the old days. But they're always dead, you know. I got into that sort of dead Beatles sound or dead recording sound. So I like to, some of them like second take or something right off, you know. It starts out with uh, bells. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, I was watching uh, TV as usual in, in California. And there was this old horror movie on, and I just heard the bells sounded like that to me. Well, they're probably different because those were actually other bells slowed down that I used on the album. But it just sounded like that, and I just thought, oh, that's how to start Mother, you know. And I knew Mother was going to be the first track, so. You said you wrote most of them in California? Well, a lot of it. Actually, I wrote Mother in England, didn't I? And uh, Isolation in England. It just seems though it was already. I finished them off in California. I mean, you can go into detail if you, you have to push me if you want more yeah, detail, because otherwise I'll just forget. Look at me was written uh, around the Beatles double album time, you know. I just never got it, got it done. You know, there's a few like that lying around. Um, you said that this, you know, that this would be the first primal album. When did I say that? <laughs> yeah, so I don't have you know. Gone off that? No, no, I haven't gone off. It's just like. Uh, Primal was like another mirror, you know, and uh, I just, just... See, because he sort of, uh, he sort of, like any artist, I suppose, but because he really wants to sort of be honest with himself and the albums and all that, you know, what he does is, instead of just patching up something that's sort of interesting, so-so or something, he really puts himself in, his life in it, you know, and uh, so, like, when he went to uh, India and he was influenced by Maharishi and so forth. It's really like, uh, you know, like writers take themselves to Singapore to get the atmosphere. So wherever I am, you know, so in that way it's a primal album, but it's like, uh, it's George's the first Gita album. You know. So it's, it's, it's that relevant. The primal screen okay, is like right. a mirror, you know. And he was looking at the well, mirror. Let's, yeah, yeah. let's talk about Jane for hmm. a second. Um, when you came out to San Francisco, you, you know, you had that, you want to do that ad. Yeah. You want to say, this is it. Well, I think that's something people go through at the beginning of that therapy, you know, because you're so astounded at what you find out about yourself that uh, you think, well, surely somebody, nobody's heard, you know, surely this is something, because it happens to you, you think, well, this is must be the first time it's happened, you know. So it's just full of it like that. Okay. Okay. You know, so it was just like, uh, and also it was like we were, we wanted to come out, so that I like to need to have a, re- a reason for going somewhere, otherwise I'm too nervous. Mm-hmm. So I conned myself, you know, and that was a good way of coming to San Francisco to see you in a way, you know. And, I, and then I have an objective, I'm going to do an advert, and this is what we're going to, so we come in the office, we're going to do this and all that, and then we sit, settle down, we just talk, you know, so it's really like that. But I still think uh, I still be, think the therapy is great, you know. But I just don't want to make it into a big uh, Maharishi thing. That, like you, you, you were right to tell me to forget the advert, and that's why I don't even want to talk too much about it. If people know what I've what I've been through there, and if they want to find out, they can find out, you know. Otherwise, it turns into that again, you know. Feel that this is the single thing to do. Just I don't know, you see, because I've no idea about any other therapy. You know, I don't think any anything else would work on me so well. But then, of course, I don't. I'm not through with it, you know. 
it's a it's a process that's going on we primal almost daily and the only difference the thing that the see i don't really want to get this big primal thing going because it gets so embarrassing you know and the thing lit in a nutshell a primal therapy allowed us to feel feelings continually and those feelings usually make you cry that's all so because before i wasn't feeling things that's all i was having blocks to the feelings when the feelings come through you cry it's as simple as that really do you think the uh, well, experience of therapy uh, helped you become a better singer uh, oh no do you think your singing is, singing uh, is better on this album yeah well it's probably better because i've got the whole time to myself you know I mean, I'm pretty good at home with my tapes, <laughs> you know, like, it's like that. But this time, it was my album, and uh, I, was, I didn't have to... It's a, some, it used to get a bit embarrassing in front of George and Paul, because we know each other so well. Oh, look, he's trying to be Elvis, always oh, doing this now, you know. We were a bit super critical of each other, so we inhibited each other a lot. And now I had Yoko there, and Phil there, uh, alternatively and together, who sort of loved me. Okay, so I can perform better, and I relax, you know. I've got a studio at home now, and I think it'll be better next time, because that's even less inhibiting than going to EMI, you know. It's like that. Uh, but the, the looseness of the singing was, was developing on cold turkey from the experience of Yoko's singing. See, she, she, she doesn't, does not inhibit her throat. It says on the album that, uh, that Yoko does win. Yeah, well, she played wind, you know. I mean, she played the atmosphere. But uh, the f uh, uh, she wasn't alright. She did. A, she pro she has a, a musical ear, and she can produce rock and roll. She can produce me, you know, which she did for some of the tracks. I'm not going to start saying it, she did this and he did that. But for when Phil couldn't come at first, you know, you don't have to be, have been born and bred in rock. She knows when a bass sounds right, and when the guy's playing out of rhythm, and when the engineer. She has a bit of trouble. The engineer thinks, well, who the hell is this? You know, what does she know about it? So she did that for me, you know. On I'm, I'm Working Class Hero, it sounds like a, like a early Dylan song. Well, anybody that sings with a guitar and, and just sings about something heavy will tend to sound like Dylan. I'm bound to be influenced by those because that's the only kind of really folk music I ever listened to. I never liked the fruity Colin, Judy Collins and Baez and all that stuff, you know. So the only folk music I know is those doing the minor dungaree, you know, that sort of about miners up in Newcastle or Dylan. So in that way, I'd be influenced, you know. But it doesn't sound like Dylan to me. Um, Does it sound like Dylan to you? Uh, only in the instrumentation. But, no, but that's the that's the only way to play. You know, you go jing 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 jing. I mean, I never listened to that hard to him, you know? Um, what's November 5th? In England, it's the, the day they blew up the Houses of Parliament. We celebrate it by having bonfires every November the 5th. I just, it just was an ad lib, you know. We'd been doing, it was about the third take. And I just got to the remember, and it begins to sound like Frankie Lane, you know, when, when, when you sing, remember. And then it was the end, I didn't know how to go, remember. The 5th of November! You know, and I just broke away. And it w went on for about another seven or eight minutes, you know. I was just ad-libbing and goofing about. But then I cut it there and just exploded, because it was a good joke. And w haven't you ever heard of the, uh, Guy Fawkes? Guy Fawkes. That's Guy the Fawkes Guy Fawkes Day, yeah. And I thought it was just poignant that we should blow up the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> um, you, you get embarrassed sometimes when you hear the album, when, you know, when you think about how personal it is. Uh, I, no, I get embarrassed. Uh, not so much. Some, see, I have sometimes I can hear it and be embarrassed just by the performance or by the the music or by the statements. And sometimes I don't, you know. I, I change daily, you know. Or like before it, just before it's coming out, I can't bear to ha hear it, you know, in, in the house or play it to anybody. But a few months before that, I can play it to everyone, and it, it just changes all the time, you see. It, it, like it does, you know, sometimes I used to listen to something, I don't know, Buddy Holly or anything. One minute it sound, one day the record would sound twice as fast as the next day. Did you ever experience that on a single? I used to have that, like, 
hound dog or something. One day it sounded very slow, and one day it would sound very fast. And it was just the mo- just my feeling towards it, you know, the way I heard it. So it can do that. But that's where you've got to make your artistic judgment to say, well, this is the take, and this isn't, you know. That's where, where you have to make the decision when it sounds reasonable. What, what, is, what is your concept of pain? Uh, I don't know what you mean, really. Well, on the, on the song God, yes. it starts off by saying God is a concept by which we measure our pain. Well, pain is a pain we go through all the time, you know, and uh, like you're, you're born in pain, you know, and pain is what we're in most of the time. And I think that the bigger the pain, the more gods we need, you know. There's a tremendous body of literature, of philosophical literature about God as, as, as a measurement of pain. Oh, I never heard about it. <laughs> See, it was my own re- revelation. See, I don't know who wrote about it or what anybody else said. I just know that's, a, that's what I know. Um, Amazing. But you just felt it. Yeah, I it? felt it, you see. So when I felt it, it's like I was crucified, you know. Mm-hmm. So I know what they're talking about now. Uh, what's the, what, what is the uh, difference between uh, uh, George Martin and uh, Phil Spector? Well, George Martin... Uh, I don't know. You see, for for quite quite a few of our albums, like the the Beatles' double album, George Martin didn't really produce it. You know, I don't know whether this is standards, but he didn't. You know, and uh, I can't remember. You know, in the early days, I can remember what George Martin did. You know, he would translate. But I always think, I can't, I think, well, he did it, uh, if Paul wanted to use violins and that, he would translate it for him. Like, in, in my life, there's a, a Elizabethan piano solo in it. So he did, would do things like that. He'd say, play like Bach or something. Could you put 12 bars in there? And he, he helped, helped us develop a, a language a little, you know, to talk to musicians, but I was never... A, because I'm very shy and many, many reasons. I didn't very much go for musicians, you know. I didn't like to have to go and see 20 guys sitting there and try and tell them what to do because they were always so lousy anyway, you know. So it, apart from the early days, I didn't have much to do with it, you know. I, I, I did it myself, you know. What, why do you use Phil now instead of George Martin? Uh, well, it's not instead of George Martin. I would not use anybody. Rather than use George Martin or something like that, that's nothing personal against George Martin. He just do, doesn't. He's more Paul's style of music than mine. Right? Mm-hmm. Phil, yes, yes, because uh, Phil's, I believe, is a great artist. But like all great artists, he's very neurotic, you know. But we'd done quite a few tracks together, Yoko and I, and she'd been encouraging me in the other room and all that, and we were just lagging, and Phil moved in and brought in a new life to, 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 because we were getting heavy, we'd done a few stuff, a few things, you know, and the, the thrill of recording had worn off a little. So you can sort of, thanks, you can hear what, you can hear Spectre here and there, you know, and I can't, it's like, there's no specifics, you can just hear, hear him. Let, let me start again. Yeah, okay. Are you pleased with the album? Yes, this from the top. Of course I'm pleased with it. Yeah. What do you think of it? I think it's the best thing I've ever done. I think it's uh, realistic and it's it's true to the, to me that has been developing over the years from in my life. I'm like I'm a loser, help, uh, strawberry fields. They were all personal records. I always wrote about me and, and didn't really enjoy writing third person songs about people who lived in concrete hat flats and things. I like first person music. But because of my hang ups and many other things, I would only now and then specifically write about me, you know. And now I wrote all about me, you know. And that's why I like it. It's me and nobody else. So I like it, you know. There's so you think like basically the honesty of it is not just it's real, you know. 
It's about me, and I don't know about anything else, really. And the only two songs I ever wrote were like Help and Strawberry Fields, you know. And, and if I can name a few, I can't think of them offhand, that I always considered my best songs. They were the ones that I, I really wrote from experience, and not uh, projecting myself into a situation and writing a nice story about it which I always found phony, but I'd find occasion to do it because I'd have to produce so much work or because I'd be so hung up I couldn't even think about myself, you know. Since on this album there's like practically no imagery at all. No, because uh, there was none in my head, you know. There's no hallucinations. There's no newspaper taxis? No, I was, I was consciously writing poetry then. And that's self-conscious poetry, you know. But the poetry on this album is superior to anything I've done because it's not self-conscious in that way. I've tried, you know, I had least trouble writing the songs of all time, you know. No bullshit. Yeah, no bullshit, is it? You know. Uh, the, the music is very simple, very sparse. Well, I always liked simple rock, you know. There's a great one in England now, here you're knocking, you know. And the, I liked uh, Spirit in the Sky a few months back. I, think I always liked simple rock and nothing else, you know. And uh, I was influenced by acid and got psychedelic, you know, like the whole generation. But really, I like rock and roll, you know. And I express myself best in rock. And I had a few ideas to do this with mother and that with mother. But when you just hear the piano does it all for you, your mind can do the rest of it. Uh, I think the backings on mine are as complicated as the backings on any record you've ever heard. You know? If you've got an ear, you can hear anybody know any musician will tell you, just play a note on a piano, it's got all them harmonics in it, you know. So it got to that, you know. What what the hell? I didn't need anything else, you know. How did you um, uh, put together the litany you got? What's litany? Well the the uh, I don't believe in in magic and stuff. Uh well uh, like a lot of the words, they just came out of my mouth. It started off like that, you know. So I was, God was stuck together from three songs almost. I had the I had the idea. God is a concept by which we measure our pain. So when you have a a, a word like that, you just sit down and sing the first tune that comes into your head, and, and the tune is the symbol. God is a concept. Boom, 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 boom. You know, because I like that kind of music, and then. And then I just rolled into it. I don't believe in magic. And it was just going on in my head. And I Ching and Bible and the first three or four just came out. Whatever came out, you know. Did you, and when did you know that you were going to be working towards that? To, I don't believe in needles. Uh, I don't know when I realized I was putting down all, all these things that I didn't believe in, you know. So I just... I could have gone on, it was like a Christmas card list, you know, I thought, well, where do I end, you know, Churchill and uh, who have I missed out, it got like that, you know, and I thought, I had to stop, you know, so, yeah, and then I was going to leave a gap and say, just fill in your own, you know, put whoever you don't believe in, in, it was just getting, got out of hand, you know, so, but Beatles was the final thing, because uh, it's like, I no longer believe in, in myth, you know, and Beatles is another myth, you know. I don't believe in it. The the dream's over. You know, I'm not just talking about the Beatles is over, I'm talking about the generation thing. You know, the dream's over, like it's over, you know. And we gotta well I have anyway, personally gotta get down to so called reality. Were you I, when did you become aware that uh, I mean that song will obviously be the is the one that's being played the most? Well I didn't know that, because up here they're playing they're not playing, I don't know, I'll, I'll be able to tell in a week or so really what's going on because they started off playing Look At Me because it was easy and I was, they probably thought it was the Beatles or something. So I don't know if that is the one, well that's the one. God and Working Glass Hero are probably the, the, the best whatever, you know, sort of ideas or feelings on the record. Why, do you, why did you choose to refer to Dylan as Zimmerman Dylan? Because uh, Dylan is bullshit, Zimmerman is his name. You know, you see, I don't believe in Dylan, you know, uh, and I think I don't believe in Tom Jones either, you know, in that way. You know, Zimmerman is his name. My name isn't John Beetle, it's John Lennon, you know, 
Just like that. Why do you tag mummy's head on here? Because uh, that's what's happened, you know. <laughs> it, all these songs just came out of me, you know. I didn't sit down to think I'm going to write about my mother, or I didn't sit down to think I'm going to write about this, that, or the other. They all came out, you know, like all the best work of anybody's ever does, you know, whether it's an article or a, you know, it's just the best ones come out, and all these came out because I had I had the time, and I was. When when you do, st if you're on holiday or in therapy or wherever you are, if you spend time, like in India, I wrote the the last batch of best songs. You know where I could write a lot, like "I'm So Tired" and "Year Blues," where they were pretty sort of realistic. You know, they were about me, and it always struck me as uh, fu not what's the word, funny, ironic, or something that I was writing in supposedly in with the, in the presence of guru and meditating so many hours a day. I was writing "I'm So Tired" and and uh, you know songs of such pain as your blues which I meant it wasn't just me right you know I was trying to express it in blues idiom because cold turkey yeah, but that was that was I was right in Maharishi's camp writing I, I want to die you know um your blues was that was that also deliberately meant to be a parody of the uh, English blues no, well a bit because I'm a bit we were all self-conscious and Beatles super self-conscious people about uh, parodying Americans, which we do and have done. I know we developed our own style, but we still, in a way, parody American music. And, uh, oh, and see, like, this is interesting because in the early days in, in England, all the groups were like Elvis and, and the backing group. And the Beatles deliberately didn't move like Elvis. That was our policy because we, we found it stupid and bullshit, you know. And then Mick Jagger came out and resurrected bullshit movement, you know, whittling your arse and that. So then people began to say, well, the Beatles are passe because they don't move. But we did it as an intellectual. When we were younger, we used to move, we used to jump around and do all the things they're doing now, like going on stage with toilet seats and shitting and pissing. That's what we're doing in Hamburg, you know, and smashing things up. It wasn't a, a thing that Pete Townsend sort of worked out. It's something that you do when you play six or seven hours. There's nothing else to do. You smash the place up. And you insult everybody, you know. But we we grew, we were groomed, you know, and we dropped all that. And the same with uh, whatever it was we started off talking about, you know, <laughs> what, which was what about singing. What was it? What 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 was the beginning of that? About you would, was uh, your blues deliberately? Yeah, yeah. So there's a self-consciousness about suddenly singing blues I mean we were all listening to uh, Sleepy John Estes and all that in art school like everybody else you know but to sing it was something else you know and so I was self-conscious about doing it so I just I think Dylan does it a lot you know in, in case he's not sure of himself he makes it double entendre so it's, therefore you're securing your hipness but George was saying, don't call, or Paul, no, Paul was saying, don't call it Year Blues, just say it straight, you know. But I was self-conscious and I went for the Year Blues, you know. But I think all that is past now because I think the musicians have, we've all got over it, you know. Just that self-consciousness. You know, I think John being John is a bit unfair to his music in a way. Nobody, nobody knows, there's a point in the, on the first song, on the, on Yoko's track where the guitar comes in and even Yoko thought it was her voice because mm, the session amazing. we did all Yoko's in one night mm. a whole session it was just fantastic the whole album? Yeah. yeah except for the Ornette there's a track mm. with Ornette Coleman that, that was from the past that we put on to show people that she's be, she didn't wasn't discovered by the Beatles and that she's been around a few years I mean we've got stuff of her with Cage Ornette Coleman everywhere, but we're putting out we're going to put oldies but goldies out next for Yoko mm -hmm. you know the stuff with all the but uh, yeah, uh, well, I'll play it and talk about it later. Okay. Uh, no, I just think that, uh, you know, he just goes on falling in love with all sorts of things. But it's like, say, if he fell in love with some girl or something and he wrote a song. Who he, he fell in love is not very important. It's the outcome of it. You know, the song itself is important. But there's a lot. For instance, you have to say the song, Well, 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 yes. is connected with final fantasy. Well, the theory of that song. 
Why? Why? No, no, but listen to Cold Turkey. But he's screaming already there. Listen to um, Twist and Shout. I couldn't sing the damn thing. I was just screaming. Listen to Wop Wop Aloom Wop Blop Bamboo. Don't get the therapy confused mm. with with the music. Now, now and Yoko's the whole whole thing was that scream. Listen to Don't Worry Kyoko. It's one of the fucking best rock and roll records ever made. Listen to it and play Tutti Fruity. Listen to Don't Worry Kyoko the other side of, of Cold Turkey. You see, I, you know, I, I'm digressing from my album. If, you can, if somebody with a rock-oriented mind can possibly listen to her stuff, you'll see what she's doing. It's, it's fantastic, you know. It's as, it's as important as anything we ever did, and as important as anything Stones or Townsend ever did. And it, listen to it, you know, and you'll hear what, what she's putting down. And I, on Cold Turkey, I'm getting towards it. And you were you know, saying about I was, life I'm influenced by her music 1,000%, you know, more than I ever was by Dylan. And she, she makes music like you've never heard on earth, you know. And when the musicians play with it, they're inspired out of their skulls. They might go, I don't know how much they play it later. You see them, wait till I've got, we've got a cut of hair from the Lyceum in London with 30, 15 or 20 musicians playing with her from Bonnie and Delaney in the fucking lot. And we played the tracks the other night. It's the most fantastic music I've ever heard. And they, they've probably gone away and forgotten all about it. We, we're going to put it out. It's fantastic, you know. I was just going to It's play. like uh, 20 years ahead of its time. Anyway, back to mine. Yes, Cold Turkey, <laughs> when you were... Yeah. Listen to when Turkey. You about Turkey, you said, you said that's not a song, that's a diary. Yeah, well, so is this. Everything. So is this, you know. And yeah. I announced Cold Turkey on the Lyceum saying, well, I'm going to sing a song pain, about pain. Yes, and that was so before pain Janoff. and screaming was before Janoff. I mean, Janov showed, you know, I went through therapy, like I told you, with him, you know, and uh, I'm probably looser all over. Are you less paranoid now? No, but I, I, I can feel my own fear. I can feel my own pain. Therefore, I can handle it better than I could before. That's all. I'm the same, only there's a channel. It doesn't just remain in me. It goes round and give, I can move a little easier. What, what, what was your experience with heroin? Heroin. Uh, it just was not too much fun, you know. I never uh, injected it, and uh, we sniffed a little, you know, when we were in real pain. I mean, we just couldn't. People were giving us such a hard time. No, but we we got such a hard time from everyone, you know. And I've had so much shit thrown at me and at Yoko, you know, especially at Yoko. People just uh, had Peter Brown in our office, and you can put this in. After we come out from six months, he comes down and shakes my hand and doesn't even say hello to her. You know? Now that's going on all the time, you know, and we get in so much pain that we have to, we have to do something about it, you know. And that's what what happened to us, you know. We we took H because of what the Beatles and their pals were doing to us. Let's go back. And we got that. out of it, you know. You know, like uh, he he was saying about Phil Spector. I mean, they didn't set down to do it, but the people people's things came out at that period, you know. And I don't forget. You know, he really produced his own stuff. You know, like Phil is, as you know, w well known about very skillful sort of, you know, technician, you know, in electronics and engineering. But let's not that. take away from what he did do, which no, was bring a lot, good, lot of energy and taught me a lot. And I would use him again. Yes, but he's so definite about things, you know. I know what I want. You see, yes. but Phil's more. When I say to Phil, I want this, he gets at me mm. like that, you know. Um, Thank you. I know, you know, he, yeah, if he hears the both, he can, no, 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 the Spectre, you can hear Spectre on the album, you know, and uh, you can hear me. No, he, no, no, that was me. No. I did that before Phil came, you see. Right, right. exactly. I did quite, quite a lot of it before And also came. that mother bell, you know, he was saying it's a church bell and it's connected with his childhood. He was always saying, you know, Sundays I heard church bell, you know. Yeah, I wrote an, I, I, I had, I read an article on some new southern country singer who wrote something about Sunday's Lonely Days, that feeling. Okay. In your, in your in past records, uh, you know, there's always, uh, you know, most Sergeant Peppers, you know, come see the show. Yeah. Come out and listen to us. And in this, 
this record so personally, you know. Well, that, see, Paul said come and see the show. I mean, I didn't, you know. What do you, uh, I said, I read the news today, oh boy, you know, that's what I said. And Mr. Kite, mind you. <laughs> but, you know, so I can't. You're Mr. Kite. No, no, I, I never thought, I wrote that as a pure poetic job, you know, to write a song. I was sitting there and I wanted, I had to write because it was time to write, you know. And I had to write it quick because otherwise I wouldn't have been on the album. <laughs> so I had to knock off a few songs. I knocked off it, Day in the Life, or my section of it. And uh, whatever we were talking about, Mr. Kite and something like that. I was very paranoid in those days. I could hardly move. In, uh, in, in, uh, I read that, uh, a little interview uh, uh, around when you went to the Rock and Roll Revival in Toronto. And uh, it said you, you said you were throwing up before you went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, and you know, off the cuff, we we were full of junk too. But throwing up. Oh yeah, throwing up. I just threw up for hours till I went on. I nearly threw up in cold. I was. I read a review in Stone about the film, which I haven't seen yet. We're meant to see it tomorrow. That rock and roll, and they're saying you know I was this and that, and I was throwing up nearly in the number. I could hardly sing any of them. I was. I was so, I was full of shit, you know. Would you still be that nervous if you were Always that nervous, you know, but with what with one thing and another, it was, it just had to come out some way, you know. I don't think I'll do much appealing, it's not worth the strain, you know. I don't want to perform too much for people. What do you think George is out? Uh, I don't know, you know, I think it's all right, you know. When, you know, personally at home, I wouldn't play that kind of music, you know, I don't want to hurt George's feelings. I mean, I don't know how to say about it, you know. I think it's better than Paul's. I thought Paul's was rubbish, you know. I, I think he'll make a better one when he's frightened into it. But I thought that first one was just a load of, I told you, light and whatever, you know, that crack. But when I hear, listen to the radio, and I hear George's stuff coming over, well then it's pretty bloody good, you know. It's like that. But my personal tastes are very strange, you know. What are your personal tastes? Wap <laughs> You know? I mean, I like rock and roll, man. I, I don't like much else. Why? Why rock and roll? That's the music I was, that inspired me to play music, you know. There's nothing conceptually better than rock and roll. No, no group, uh, be it Beatles, Dylan or Stones, has ever improved on a whole lot of shaking, for my money. Or, and maybe I'm like our parents, you know, that's my period, I dig it, you know, and I'll, I'll never leave it, you know. What do you think of the rock and roll scene today? Uh, I don't know what it is, you know, you'd have to name it. I don't think there's... Do you get any pleasure out of the top ten? Uh, no, I never listen, only when I'm recording or, or about to bring something out. I listen just before I record, I like about a few albums to see what people are doing, you know, if they improved any or what, has anything happened? And nothing's really happened. There's a lot of great guitarists and musicians around, but nothing's happening, you know. I mean, I, I don't like the, the blood, sweat and tears shit. I think all that is bullshit, you know. And uh, it's, rock and roll is doing like jazz, as far as I can see, and the bullshitters are going off into that excellent, excellentness, which I never believed in. And others are going off, I consider myself in the avant-garde of rock and roll, I don't know, because I'm with, Yoko taught me a lot and I taught her a lot, and I think on her album you can hear it, if I can get away from her album for a minute. And I think it's going like that, you know. What do you think it's going now? I thought it wasn't much, you know. I thought it was, because uh, I expect more, you know, maybe I expect too much from people, you know, but I expect more. You know. But uh, I haven't been a Dylan follower since he stopped rocking, you know. I like Rolling Stone and a few things he did then, you know, I like a few things he did in the early days, but the rest of it's just like, you know, McCartney or something, you know, it's no different, you know, it's a myth. You don't think then that? It's a legitimate new morning. No, it's a lot of bullshit. It might be a new morning for him because he, you know, because he stopped singing on the top of his, oh, up there, and he's singing down there. I mean, it's all right, but it's nothing, you know. It doesn't mean a fucking thing. I'd sooner have uh, 
Let me see what else. I don't know if I hear you knocking by Dave Edmonds is top of England now. You win a wheel left me long time ago, all that. Um, I'm George is LP with you know just it's strange that he comes out with this Harry Krishna Vita LP. Yeah, yeah. And you come out with the opposite. Yeah. Thank you, reaction to that. Well, um I don't know. I think, uh, probably, I can't imagine what George thinks, you know, but I suppose he thinks I've, I've lost the way, you know, <laughs> or something like that. But to me, I'm like home, you know, I'll never change much from this. Let's reproach that. It's always, always the Beatles were talked about and the Beatles talked about themselves between four parts of the same person. Yeah, well, to make that, yeah. What's happened to those four parts? Well, they, 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 did, they remembered that they were four individuals, you see. We believe the Beatles myth, too. You know. I don't know whether the others still believe it, but, you know. We were four guys that, uh, I met Paul, said, do you want to join my band, you know? And, and then George joined, and then Ringo joined. We were just a band who made it very, very big, that's all. You know. And sometimes our best work was never recorded, you know. Because we were we were performers, in spite of what Mick says about us, in Liverpool, Hamburg, and around the dance halls, you know. And what we generated was fantastic. Well, we played straight rock, and there was nobody to touch us in Britain, you know. But as soon as we made it, we made it. The the, the, the edges were knocked off. You know, Brian put us in suits and all that, and we made it very very big. But we sold out, you know. And the music was dead before we even went on the theatre tour of Britain. We were, we were, we were feeling shit already, because we had to reduce an hour or two hours playing, which we were glad in one way to twenty minutes, and go on and repeat the same twenty minutes every night. The Beatles' music died then, as as musicians. That's why we never improved, you know. As musicians, we killed ourselves then to make it, and that was the end of it. And uh, George and I are more inclined to say that, you know. We always missed the club days because that's when we were playing music and then later on we became technically efficient recording artists which was another thing because we were competent people you know and we can whatever media you put us in we can produce something worthwhile you know. how do you how do you rate yourself as a guitar uh well it depends what kind of guitarist you know i'm okay you know. i can't i'm not technically very good but i can make it fucking howl you know and move I was rhythm guitarist, you know, and it's, it's an important job. I can make a, a band drive, you know. How do you rate George? Uh, he's pretty good, you know. <laughs> I prefer myself, you know, I have to be honest, you know. I mean, I'm really very embarrassed about my guitar playing in one way because it's, it's very poor, you know, I can never move. But I can make a guitar speak, you know. I, I think there's a guy called Richie Valland, no, Richie Haven. Does he play very strange guitar, you know? Uh, he's a black guy that was on Isle of Wight concert, sang Strawberry Fields or something. Yeah, he plays like one chord all the time. Now, he plays pretty funky guitar, but he doesn't seem to be able to play in the real time. I'm like that, you know. But Yoko's made me get cocky about my guitar, because she keeps saying... Why? Yeah, if I play you... Okay. See, one part of me says, yes, of course I can play, because I can, I can, make, I can make a rock move, you know. But the other part of me says, well, I wish I could just do it like B.B. King, you know, if you put me with B, I feel silly, you know, but I can really make a, a, I can, I'm an artist, and if you give me a tuba, I'll bring you something out of it. You said that you played the, you say you can, you can make the guitar speak, what songs do you find that nice? Uh, I found out, I think it's nice, you know, it drives along, you know, it's, I don't know, you know, ask Eric Clapton, he thinks I can play, <laughs> ask him, you know, you know, I, I, it's, you don't have to, see, a lot, a lot of you people see, want technical thing, then you think, oh, well, that is, a, it's like wanting technical films, you know, most critics of rock and roll and guitarists are in the stage of the 50s where they wanted a technic, technically perfect film, you know, finished for them and then they would feel happy. I'm a cinema verite guitarist or musician and you have to break down your barriers to be able to hear what I'm playing, you know. 
Yeah, I, it's a nice little bit I played. I had it on the back of Abbey Road. Paul gave us each a piece. You know, there's a little break where Paul plays, George plays, and I play. Well, you listen to it, you know. Which is that? Um, there's one bit, one of those where it stops, um, you know, one of those carry that weight, and then right. suddenly it goes boom, boom, boom on the drums, and then we all take it in turns to play. I'm the third one on it. That I have a definite style of playing. I always had, but I was overshadowed. Like they call about George the invisible singer. I'm the invisible guitarist, you know. You said you played the obbligato on Get Back. And I played the solo on that, yeah. When Paul was feeling kind, he'd give me a solo. You know, or if he, maybe if he was feeling guilty that he had most of the A sides or something, he'd give me a solo, you know. And I played the solo on that. Um, I think George produces some beautiful guitar playing, you know. But I think he's too hung up to really let go. But so is Eric, really. You know, maybe he's changed. They're also hung up, you know. Well, we all are. That's the problem. But I really like Beat Me King. Do you like Ringo's record, his country one? I think it's a good record. I wouldn't buy any of it, you know. I think it's a good record, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear uh, Boku of Blues, that song, you know. I thought, good, you know, I was glad, and I wasn't, I didn't feel as embarrassed as I did about his first record, you know. But I, I, it's hard for you to ask me. It's like asking you, what, what do I think of... Ask me about other people, you know, because it so, looks so awful when I say I don't like this and I don't like that. It's just that I wouldn't, you know, I don't like many of the Beatles records either, you know. My own taste is different from that which I've played sometimes, which is called cop-out, you know, to make money or whatever, or because I didn't know any better. So again, that was Jan Wenner interviewing John Lennon in 1970. And in this final clip we're playing today, Jan asks about Paul McCartney, and John gets very honest about his feelings about the Beatles and about Paul. I'd like to talk this. I, I'd like to talk ask him a question about Paul, and uh, uh, go through that. Um, what, let, let me ask you this: We went and saw a lot of in San Francisco. Yeah. What was your feeling? Uh, I, I felt sad. Also felt. That, that film was set up by Paul, for Paul. That's one of the main reasons the Beatles ended. Because you know, I can't speak for George, but I have a pretty damn well know. We got fed up of, of being sidemen for Paul. After Brian died, that's what happened, began to happen to us, you know. And the, the camera work was set up to show Paul and not to show anybody else. And that's how I felt about it. And on top of that, the people that cut it, cut it, as Paul is God and we're just lying around there, you know? And that's what I felt. You know? And I knew there were some shots of Yoko and, and me that had been just chopped out of the film for no other reason than the people were oriented towards Engelbert Humperdinck. You know, and that's, I felt sick. How, how would you trace the breakup of the Beatles? After Brian died, we collapsed. Paul took over and su- supposedly led us, you know. But what is leading us when we went round in circles? We broke up then. That was the disintegration. You know? We'll be here a long time, so. When did you first? When did you first feel that the Beatles had broken up? When did you first that idea first? I don't remember, you know, I was in my own pain. I wasn't noticing, really. I just did it like a, like a job, you know. The Beatles broke up, uh, uh, you know, after Brian died, we made the, the double album. The, the, the set, it's, it's like if you took each track off and gave it all, put all mine and all It's just like I told you many times, you know, just me and a backing group, Paul and a backing group. And I enjoyed it, you know. But we broke up then, you know. Where, where were you when you Brian died? We were in uh, Wales with Maharishi. We'd just gone down after seeing his lecture the first night. And we went down to Wales and we heard it then. You know? And then we went right off into the Maharishi where thing. In Wales, a place called Bangor in Wales. In Mahar- like no, we were uh, just in a, outside a lecture hall with Maharishi. And some, I don't know, it just sort of, I can't remember, you know, it just sort of came over. Somebody came up to us and press were there because we'd gone down with this strange Indian, you know. And they said, Brian's dead. And we, we, I was st- stunned, you know. And we all were, I suppose. And the Maharishi, we went into, well, what? You know, 
you know, he's dead and all that. And he was sort of saying, oh, forget it, you know, be happy, fucking idiot. You know, my parents, you know, smile. That's what Maharishi said. So, and we did, and we were along, along with the Maharishi trip. You know. What was your feeling about that? Uh, the feeling that anybody has when somebody close to them dies, there's a sort of little hysterical sort of hee hee and that it's not me or something in it. You know, that funny feeling when somebody dies, I don't know whether you've had it, I've had a lot of people die on me, you know. And the other feeling is, you know, what, what the fuck, you know, what, what can I do, you know. I mean, what, I, I, I knew that we were in trouble then. I had never, I didn't really have any misconceptions about our ability to do anything other than play music. And uh, I was scared, you know. I thought we fucking had it now. What was it? <laughs> Could you pass me that pepper there, the bit of it? What, what was it? The events, you know, sort of that immediately happened after Brian died. Okay. Well, we went with Maharishi. I don't know. I remember being in Wales, and then I can't remember. You know, I mean, it's. I'll probably have to have a bloody session to remember it. So I can't. Don't remember. You know. It just all happened, you know. And then you went to India. Yeah, I think so. What about the funeral? Oh, that was bullshit, you know. I, I was, I was defended enough. I'd forgotten. Yeah, I didn't. It was funerals. And how did Paul? I don't know how the others took it. I never tell how. No, it's no good asking me. It's like me asking how you took it. You know, I, I don't know. I'm in my own head. You know, I can't be in anybody else's. I don't know what really what George, Paul and Ringo think any more than I do about, you know. I know them pretty well, but I don't know anybody that well, you know. Yoko, I know about the best, you know. It, you can't, I don't know how they felt, I was in my own thing, you know. We were all just like dazed, you know. Ed, so, so Brian died, and then you said, then what happened is Paul started to go. Well, that's, Paul, he, I mean, you know, Paul, I think Paul, I don't know how much of this I want to put out, I tell you. I think Paul had an impression, he has it now like a parent, that uh, we should be thankful for what he did, you know. But he kept for, for keeping the Beatles going, but when you look upon it objectively, he kept it going for his own sake, you know. But not for my sake did he, Paul struggle. But Paul made an attempt to carry on as if Brian hadn't died, you know, by saying, now, now, boys, we're going to make a record. You know, and being the kind of, first I am, I thought, well, you know, we're going to make a record, all right. So I went along, we went and made a record. And I suppose we made Pepper, I'm not sure, you know. That was before. Well, that was before Brian. Oh, I see. Well, we made the double album then. Mm -hmm. But it was like that, you know, I mean, uh, and then, was my little mystery tour after Brian? Yeah, well, that was the, the real, see, I think Paul had a tendency to come along and say, well, he's written his 10 songs, let's record now. And I said, well, give us a few days and I'll knock a few off, you know, or something. I don't imagine Mystery Tour was another where he'd set it up, uh, you know, and then, then he did worked it out with Mal and then he came and showed me what his idea was and this is how it went. It went around like this, the story, and he had it all, you know, think production. And he says, well, here's the segment, you write a little piece for that. And I thought, fucking hell, I've never made a film. What do you mean? You can write a script. So, you know, I ran off and, and wrote the dream sequence for the fat woman and all the thing with the spaghetti and all that. And and all that. It was like that, you know. And then we were all, George and I were sort of grumbling, you know, fucking movie. You know, well, we better do it. You know, but feeling that we, we owed the public or owed somebody other that we should do these things. You know. So we made it, you know. When, when did your when did your songwriting partnership with Paul end? That ended. I don't know, around 1962 or something. I don't know. I mean, if you give me the albums, I can tell you exactly who wrote what, you know, and which line. I mean, we we sometimes wrote together and sometimes didn't. But all our best work, apart from the early days, like I want to hold your hand, we wrote together and things like that. Uh, we wrote apart always, you know. Even Liverpool, one after nine or nine on the. What's it, LP? It's one I wrote when 17 or 18 in Liverpool, separately from Paul, and uh, some of his, uh, uh, I don't know, The Sun is Fading Away and things like that, the things Paul wrote those days. We always wrote separately, but we wrote together because, because we enjoyed it a lot sometimes, and also because they'd say, well, you're going to make an album, we'd get together and knock off a few songs, you know, just like a, a job. 
whose idea was to go to India? Well, I don't know. It's I don't know. Probably George's. I have no idea. You know? yeah. No, no. We met around there, but around there. I was going to take it, but I, I, back, I lost my nerve because I was going to take my wife and Yoko, and I didn't know how to work it, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't quite do it. That, that's about Maharishi. You know? I, was, I coughed out and wouldn't write Maharishi. What have you done? You made a fool of everyone. Now it can be told, <laughs> fab listeners. <laughs> When did you realize that he was making a fool of you? Mm, I don't know. I just sort of saw him, you know. Yeah, somebody said, you know, there was a big hullabaloo about him trying to get off with me if I found a few other women and things like that. And we went down to him and we'd stayed up all night discussing was it true or not true, you know. And when George started thinking it might be true, I thought, well, it must be true, because if George is doubting it, there must be something in it. So we went to see Maharaj. The whole gang was the next day charged down to his hut, you know, his bungalow, his very rich-looking bungalow in the, in the mountains. And uh, I, I was the spokesman. As usual, when the dirty work came, I actually had to be leader, whatever the scene was. When it came to the nitty-gritty, I had to do the speaking. And I said, uh, we're leaving. Why? <laughs> you know, all that shit. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, if you're so cosmic, you'll know why. You know, because he was always intimating, and there were all, all these, his right-hand men intimating that he did miracles, you know. And I was saying, you know why? You know? He said, I don't know why, you must tell me. And I just kept saying, and he gave me a look like, oh, I'll kill you bastard. He gave me such a look, and I knew then when he looked at me. You know, because I'd called his bluff. And if you if you know, you know all. You know, cosmic conscious. That's what we're all here for. And I was a bit rough to him. You know. You're expecting too much from him. I always do. You know, <laughs> I always expect too much. I always expect him my mother and yeah. don't get her. That's what it is. You know, or, or some parents. I know that much. So when did you decide you had to come to New York and air Denounce him. Well, you came to New York and had a press conference. The Apple thing, that was to announce Apple. That but also at the same time. I don't remember that. about the Maharishi. Well, what did they say? I don't know. You know, I mean, we all say a lot of things that we don't know what we're talking about. I'm probably doing it now. I don't know what I said. You know, see, everybody takes you up on the words you said. And I think, well, I'm just a guy who people ask what, what about things. I blab off and some of it makes sense. Some of it's bullshit and some of it's lies and some of it's God knows what I'm saying, you know. So you've been listening to Rolling Stone Music Now, and we're really proud to be able to present one of the most legendary rock interviews of all time, Jan Wenner's conversation with John Lennon from 1970. And Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next Friday at 1 p.m. on volume. In the meantime, subscribe and download us as a podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Next week.